It's time to discuss what's happening in the world of business and finance. So I'd like to welcome my guests, Mark Mickelson, Chairman, Asia CEO Forum, IMA Asia. Good morning, Mark. Uh, good morning. Great to have you on the show today. And Isaac Poole, Global Chief Investment Officer at Oriana Financial. Good morning, Isaac. Morning, Stephen. Good to be here. Great to have you. And we've certainly got a lot to talk about today. So let's start with the mainland. Now, Richard Koo, the inventor of the balance sheet recession, a few days ago announced that China is in one. Mark, maybe you can kick off by explaining what a balance sheet recession is and whether you believe China is in one. Well, I, Richard Koo developed this, as, as some, of, some of you know, um, during the problems of Japan in the early 1990s. And basically, it, it occurs when households and businesses divert more of their income toward paying down debt rather than consuming or investing, which is what we're seeing to some extent in China. So he sees the slump in mortgage borrowing, decline in house prices, the reluctance among private sector companies to borrow and invest as indications of this. You know, he may be overstating at this point, but he, 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 he was very prominent in developing this term many years ago. And, of course, you've seen various speculation that China might be moving toward Japan in the 1990s. As I said, I think this is an overstatement, but at the same time, worries about the economy because – Frankly, a lot of investors and a lot of companies that I work with, executives, are finding China still very attractive, but not as strong as they hoped it would be, especially this year. And why are you saying it's an overstatement? Well, I think it's, it's sort of too early to tell. Plus, the Chinese government has a lot more levers. Uh, they can't control everything, but they're, they're well organized. They understand what the issues are the senior officials, and they uh, and expect they will they will react and look for ways to uh, ways to uh, calm this down, whether it's uh, whether it's fiscal measures or, or others, or supplying some um, some backing for households and businesses that need money. And Isaac, what do you think? Is China in a balance sheet recession, or would you agree with Mark? I'd agree with Mark. I think. The challenge here is separating cyclical impacts from structural and, and right. cyclically China is coming out of a recession. Last year I think it would be fair to characterise the malaise and the challenges that they faced through COVID lockdowns and restrictions and quarantines as a genuine recession and they're, they're now in a recovery phase, albeit a, a tepid recovery. It's, it's not been a rampant sort of reopening that we've seen in the past and, and part of the challenges that, that they're facing there are uh, getting unemployment down, getting people back to work, getting people back to spending, getting businesses back to uh, investing. I don't think that's necessarily just reflective of excessive leverage or an inability to spend because they're paying down debt. Um, you know, I don't think that's a, a structural shift we're seeing here. I, instead, I guess I would say that China's authorities have, have set a 5% growth target. We're well on the way to reaching that. Uh, we, I, I agree with Mark. I think we'll see some more some support, but it, it'll be released uh, eventually, not in a sort of open the floodgates fashion, because I think the authorities are comfortable that we're going to reach that 5% this year. And that really links to my next question. So let's stick with you, Isaac. Now, back in February, Goldman Sachs was forecasting China's growth at 6.5%, shortly after China's leadership set their GDP growth target at 5%. And since then, Goldman has cut the forecast a couple of times, but it's still 5.4%, which is over China's um, estimate of 5%. 
Um, so why did these companies get it so wrong? And then I was going to answer, which I think you've answered already, is how bad things will have to get for the Chinese government to start stepping in with some major economic stimulus. But maybe you could talk to us more about what that stimulus could be. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, th I think the challenge with reading the recovery from China was it it's very difficult to get a sense of uh, change in preferences and, and the change in desire for households to spend as they're coming out of those lockdowns and just how persistent that might be. Uh, and, and of course, I, I think there's been a bit of a wealth effect as well, because while there has been a recovery that hasn't translated to returns in equity markets, because there's been a real reluctance for foreign capital come in, and, and that weighs on itself and weighs on household spending as well. Uh, so there's a bit of a, a, a challenge there in breaking, uh, breaking that nexus, if you like. And part of that will be further support from, government, uh, from the government and from the central bank. And, and I think over the course of July, perhaps later this month, we're likely to see something along the lines of a, another reserve requirement ratio cut, perhaps some more credit support for the banks um, and uh, support for households to to really help them get out there and spend and feel more comfortable. So I, I think it's worth just waiting a little bit to see that come out. I, I don't think they're in a rush to do it, but perhaps after their Politburo meeting this month, we'll, we'll see that announced. Okay. Oh, the line's getting quite bad there. But I was going to ask you, um, what are your thoughts on China achieving that 5%? Um, and regardless of whether it needs stimulus or not? Do you think there will be enough stimulus so China will achieve the 5%? They'll achieve it. They're gonna, I think China's going to reach that 5% growth this year. And if it looks like they're stalling, there will be more, even more support. And there's plenty of uh, wiggle room for, for, for the government to pull more levers, as Mark said, and, and to support more. So that 5%, I think, was, uh, was not a very high hurdle that they set. And I'm fairly sure that they're going to achieve that by the end of the year. I agree with Richard's reasoning, but I mean, but I, I don't think they're going to. I think they may not make it. Uh, we're forecasting about 4.7 percent. We may be wrong. We may be underestimating what's what, what's going to happen. But for all the reasons that were just described, we think the weaknesses may tip may tip over. In, in favor. Now, the Chinese government definitely is going to try to, uh, for, for political reasons as well as economic reasons, uh, to try to at least make that 5% level, and, and maybe they'll do it. But at the same time, the, a lot of the signs aren't strong. And as was mentioned, it's, you know, it's the overhang of COVID in many ways, not the medical part, maybe that to some extent as well, but the economic part and the sentiment part that's affecting, um, affecting consumers as well as other issues in property and, and so on. Those are the worries. Now, maybe this will all be overcome. And, um, of course, we're all hoping for that. Yeah. And um, often people refer to the Chinese economy as having long COVID. So yeah. um, but why is it getting long COVID longer than some other countries? I just think, I mean, it's not it's not only China, obviously, it's Hong Kong, too. I just think the impact was very strong when we were during the middle of, of the lockdowns and in Shanghai, we were having meetings of our group every every week, and we were talking about things like access to food and, yeah. and areas. I mean, it's incredible and sort of hard to to move away from that completely because 
what what's happening next that's 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 a worry and again it it may be paranoia but i don't know if it's constructive or non-constructive paranoia but it's certainly there to some extent i think for a lot of us yeah i know it took a, a heavy mental toll on a, a, a lot of people with everything going on in the world it must be getting more difficult for the hkma to maintain the peg to the us dollar how likely do you think this could change and what are the advantages and disadvantages of delinking it mark <laughs> well, I think maybe you should turn this over to my colleague. You know, I, I think it probably will, and of course I'll say that until it doesn't, because because the the link is has you know was supposed to be a temporary measure. It's been in place since 1983, so you know so that that's pretty strong. But the ability of the of the peg to come through various global economic and financial shocks with um, you know manageable negative local market consequences has highlighted the credibility of it. high interest rates and economic volatility is a price that 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 we're paying but it anchors international confidence to some extent and regional confidence confidence and eliminates foreign exchange risk in hong kong's small very open economy um, so you know macroeconomic policies don't have much of an influence it is a political as much as an economic issue, and it's a matter of confidence and credibility. And I'm saying this until it does change. The other issue is whether the renminbi is is a is a viable alternative this time. And I, you know, my feeling is that probably not yet. Not until uh, not until it moves uh, more toward uh, convertibility. But uh, maybe that's wrong. Maybe we're thinking in uh, in, in different different ways these days. Isaac. Yeah, I mean, I very, very much agree with, with, with Mark there. This is a monetary board that is uh, structured in such a way that it is very difficult, if not impossible, for, for people to come in and sort of bully the HKMA out of um, sustaining it. And, and so until there's a decision to, to go otherwise, I think this peg is in place. It, it has provided a lot of stability, political and economic for, uh, for the nation over uh, over many many years, and, and for the special uh, economic region uh, for, for many years, so I don't see it changing. Um, I, I certainly can't see outside forces making uh, making any any material shift in the in the peg in in the near term at all. Okay, but if it looks likely, or there's some kind of messaging and signals coming out. Um, would you think there would be some panic and maybe a lot of outflow from the country? That's certainly a, a risk, and I think that's why it will be managed very carefully over an extended period of time, perhaps. And, and I don't think we're very close to that at all at that, for the time being. So I would, I would imagine this is something that might be measured in, uh, in, in years, if not decades, before we see a material move away from it. Um, and as you say, I, I think any uh, announcements will be done very, very carefully to prevent capital flights and, uh, and panics. Yeah, this could all change tomorrow, as we all know. These things move very quickly. But, but I, I agree with Ivert. I, I think that's the situation. I, unfortunately, have been here long enough to remember 1983. I remember 1998 uh, when, uh, when the Hong Kong dollar was under attack. And there was, there was a degree of panic. Uh, that, that the the government had to intervene and take uh, extraordinary measures. Actually, and I think we've just heard John Greenwood, who is credited with being sort of the father of the of the link, uh, saying that he thinks the same conditions are in play today that 
that uh, that were the reasons for putting the um, the link in in the, fir- in the first place. Again, this the situation is 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 more difficult these days. I think, especially because of the strength of the U.S. dollar, the rising interest rates, uh, the extended time of of doing that. So. We're in a slightly different situation, I think, but at the same time, I think the uh, the rationale still applies. Okay, now I'm going to go on to the next question, but I've got very little time. See how quickly you can answer. U.S. Treasury bonds are looking high right now at 4.94 for two years, and the U.K. is selling bonds 5.7%, the highest since 2007. On the other hand, equities are still are looking vulnerable. Isaac, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I... I would agree that uh, equities certainly look vulnerable. Um, the, the rally we've seen this year has been almost entirely driven by one sector. Uh, outside of that, there's been no real movement at all. And, and on yields, uh, especially government yields, treasuries have backed right back up to a point where I think they're, they're well and truly pricing the path for, for, um, for the Fed funds rate, at least. And, and that, I think, makes them quite attractive uh, to sort of lock in some income right now but the important part is, with yields where they are, you're getting some pretty good downside protection if we see a recession at some stage over the next 12 months. Okay, so I'm going to have to stop you there. I'm so sorry, but thank you so much for joining us, Mark and Isaac.